The impact of Dante Moore committing to the Ducks is a pretty widespread. Nothing but good news. We'll talk about what him choosing Oregon means for the program. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Appreciate the hundreds of you out there who have already done so to make the show what it is. And speaking of the show, it's brought to you today by LinkedIn. I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College. Network LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. Those of you watching on YouTube can see I am once again in a new location. And I uh, was going to put out a show yesterday, but last week my travel plans changed because I had been a second alternate to the Utah State Amateur, ended up getting admitted, played round one today as I record this, and round two is tomorrow morning on uh, Tuesday. And then I'm actually traveling later this week as well, going to try to put out as much content as I can, uh, but it'll be a little bit more normal uh, next week after I visit my brother later this week. So if you have some questions, hit me up on Twitter. I'll answer them in full. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll you know, give them a run through on the show. Depends on kind of how much time that I've got there. But we'll get to some questions later. But first, Dante Moore is uh, going to be an Oregon Duck, and that is a, a pretty big deal. And there are a number of ways to look at his commitment, how it how it impacts Oregon, how it you know uh, change or maybe doesn't change how how we view Oregon. But uh, first note on his commitment, just kind of right off the top, Oregon is in the top 20. They're currently sitting at number 19. I'm looking at the 24-7 composite ratings right now with uh, 11 hard commits. I'm honestly surprised it's uh, 19. Maybe that hasn't fully registered yet. I, I assume it has because he's right there at the top highest rated recruit. Speaking of high rated recruits, Caleb Presley who, you know, four-star corner out of the state of Washington, number one player in the Evergreen State in the class of 2023. He's the second highest rated recruit in the class right now behind Dante Moore, whose composite rating is .9942. That's the fifth highest all-time. Not the fifth highest offensive player, the fifth best quarterback. No, it's the number one quarterback commit in terms of recruiting rankings, and it trails just four players. Just four players. I'll give you a moment here to think about what four players have committed to the University of Oregon football program that are rated higher than Dante Moore. The first one at number four, so I guess the fourth one, is 2005. It's Jonathan Stewart. He turned out to be really, really good. Uh, right ahead of him, Haloti Nata, class of 2002. Justin Flo. I hope we get a full season from him because that guy is going to be a game wrecker and is an NFL caliber player. He's number two. And of course, Kayvon Thibodeau, number one, his career worked out pretty darn well. So that's the sort of player that, that Dante Moore is capable of being. I mean, he's one of the five highest rated recruits in the history of the school. He's ahead of uh, Noah Sewell by just a little bit. And uh, Cameron Colvin, DeAnthony Thomas, Josh Connerly, and then Eric Armstead round out the rest of the top 10 for all-time commits for the Ducks. So all of that is uh, really good news. The class, of course, is looking like 
it's in really good shape. You've got 11 hard commits right now, seven four-stars, a five-star, and three three-star guys as well. Plenty of secondary members in there, uh, several receivers, a couple running backs as well, or just one, one running back right now with Dante Dowdell. And uh, speaking of running backs, th- there are a number of things that, that you hope happen on the recruiting trail. And one thing from a football perspective is when you get a big time quarterback, you hope other guys are going to follow suit. You hope other guys are going to look over there and say, that's their signal caller. I want to go be with that guy. I mean, this is a top 10 player in the class of 2023, not top 10 quarterback, not top 10 offensive player, just a top 10 player, number eight. And anytime you can get somebody in the top 10, let alone one who, who is a future signal caller like Dante Moore, it's a really, really big time get. And so naturally it turns a lot of heads. And the big name that Oregon fans are, you know, talking about plenty from from what I can tell, and they've asked me a couple of you have asked me about him as well, is five star running back Richard Young. And I haven't been too bullish on, on Oregon getting him. It, it looks like he's trending towards other schools, maybe Alabama, but Josh Connerly was trending towards USC. As well, and if we had followed that super, super closely, we would have said, ah, well, looks like he's going to go elsewhere. And then he ended up choosing the Ducks. So you never know. Something like this certainly doesn't hurt. And, you know, going back to a question that somebody asked me not that long ago, I don't remember off the top of my head which of you it was, but you know who you are out there. This is going to help keep Jurion Dickey committed to to Oregon, who's definitely going to get more and more offers and and interest from other schools as time goes on. And I, I think that getting Dante Moore is, you know, to to me, that that kind of makes me feel like we have Jurion a little bit more on lockdown. I hope I don't have to eat my words on that one day, but uh, this helps quite a bit. I'm just not as confident with with Richard Young. I think you look at Oregon's running back room, we're fine anyway for the next couple of years. However, Young and Dowdell are distinctly different running backs. And if you had Dante Moore with Dante Dowdell and Richard Young, you'd have a pretty dynamic backfield. Now, Dante's not a huge runner. We'll get to his play style a little bit later here in the show. But I, uh, I, I really, really like what what he brings to the table from a football standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. And, you know, could there be positive recruiting ramifications? Sure. But because of the way Oregon's commitments have gone so far and how many have been on the offensive side of the ball with guys like Dowdell and Cozart and, you know, Casper, who reclassified, of course, the class of 2022. I don't know if I'd expect necessarily a flurry because of where Oregon is at in their recruiting and also where the roster is at. Uh, a flurry of commitments to come into Oregon the way that, you know, like Jonte Cook followed Arch Manning down to Texas, right? You know, I, I don't expect it to be something like that, but that doesn't mean that there aren't, aren't good things to look at from a recruiting standpoint here. And anytime you get a player of this caliber, big deal, big deal, really, really good. No doubt. Down, there's no downsides here at all, but I was thinking about how you know, how to view the staff in light of this commitment. And to me, and this is not a bad thing, this is a testament to how good a job they've been doing on the recruiting trail. To me, my expectations for this staff and how they can recruit at Oregon have not changed with Dante Moore being there. Am I glad they got him? Yeah, of course. I, I was stoked when I saw, you know, the the commitment on, on SportsCenter and he announced he was coming to Oregon, did the interview with Matthew Berry and everything. All that was was really, really great. But to me, when I look at the totality of it, even though he's such a big-time player, 
I think it changes my my expectations and perspective a little bit on Kenny Dillingham as a recruiter and as an offensive coordinator as a whole. And he will now get, you know, first major opportunity to, you know, shape a quarterback in his vision and be a consistent voice for him and his primary coach as well. And he hasn't had that before and he's not going to have that this year. Right. He has, you know, a year of experience with Bo Nix, but he's had a bunch of other influences since Dillingham uh, went elsewhere and Malzahn was the play caller anyway and you know if uh it's ty thompson next year then that's somebody who's also seen a number of offensive coordinators other than dillingham so this is i think a really good opportunity for him to do that but uh the reason my expectations don't change are something that i will tell you or is something i will tell you after i tell you that as the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business linkedin jobs makes it easier to grow your team linkedin jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free create a free job post in minutes on linkedin jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people linkedin jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit linkedin post your job for free linkedin.com slash locked on college that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions do apply The reason my expectations don't change is because this staff has already set the bar so high and they very nearly had Nico and then they were going after Rashada and then they're going after Dante Moore and you know where they were looking at Avery Johnson as well who was a decently highly a pretty highly rated four star but you know when he committed to Kansas State something he said was yeah I, I liked Oregon they were interested but it seems like they were all in on Dante Moore so this staff has already set the bar pretty high you know, getting guys like Jaleel Florence, who was considering USC. Connerly was supposed to go to USC. Kyler Casper as well. Ashton Cozart, who they flipped from Oklahoma. Jordan James, who they flipped from Georgia. There are just a lot of, I mean, go all the way back to the early days of the Dan Lanning era, where he convinced Seven McGee and Sean Dollars, who had put their names in the portal, to stay at the University of Oregon. Those are major recruiting victories. And so they've been coming in over and over again, primarily on the offensive side of the ball. I think we're still waiting for the big-time defensive recruit. Caleb Presley certainly certainly won. I guess we're uh, still waiting for the big-time defensive lineman, David Hicks, Mateo Uyunglele, someone like that. Jaden Wayne, by the way, committed to Cristobal down at, at, at Miami, so it's not going to be him. But still, I, I think they've set the bar so high that I, I kind of already expected them to be able to uh, get a player of Moore's caliber at the quarterback position. And, you know, the fact that they were so close on Nico and that they were in on, on Rashada and certainly wanted him, I think the, the fact that they were uh, consistently going after players of Dante Moore's caliber, I would have been pretty disappointed and, and kind of down if if we hadn't gotten Dante Moore here. So I think that that, you know, it excited me for sure, but also kind of gave me that sense of, you know, like a par safe. Sorry, I'm in golf mode right now. But then again, when am I not? Yeah, that's almost never. Kind of more of a, a par save rather than a, a birdie or an ego where it's like, well, yeah, I, I kind of expected you to be able to to make that par there because of how you'd set yourself up on on the rest of the hole. And you know, I, I think the the recruiting expectations for me don't change for the staff. They, they remain very, very high, and they were pretty high when the staff came in. And, and the reason that they remain high and have maybe elevated even a touch more from when they took over all the way back in, I think it was December, when, when Dan Lanning got the job or when it was announced that uh, that he was going to get the job, 
is that I had pretty high expectations then, but they've just continued to raise the bar. And I think Connerly was, you know, the, the first splash where I went, whoa, okay, we can get really, really big time recruits with this staff the way we did under the previous administration. This staff is going to, you know, seemingly continue that momentum. And that, you know, especially now with this Dante Moore commitment, I, I think is an expectation that the Ducks are going to be able to continue to bring in high level players. And I, I see them doing that. And I really like the way the 2023 class is, is shaping up. It's missing defensive linemen, though. That, that's a big thing. Defensive and offensive linemen uh, are, are, are the biggest thing. You do have three-star Tavita Pamee in there, uh, big body from uh, Leighton, Utah, uh, and Leighton Christian Academy. But, you know, when you're talking about about guys in the trenches on both sides of the ball, I, I think that we're still still waiting for, for those commitments to come in. Hopefully they will as uh, the recruiting cycle goes on. Let's get to uh, the mailbag edition of today's show. You guys have been sending in so many questions, and they've all been great, and I absolutely love answering them for you. There are four ways to get a question answered on the show. You tweet with the hashtag AskLODPod. You can DM me at Smalls underscore 55 or at LockedOnDucks are the Twitter handles. You can also uh, go in the YouTube comments, drop one in there, and uh, I will answer it here on the show. Or maybe it requires a quick response. Maybe it requires a full run-through, but more often than not, I like giving it the full run-through here on the show a uh, regular I guess questiony it's a word i just made up um you know like detainee questiony um not that i'm trying to compare asking a question to me here on the shows like being a prisoner but uh duck demon is back with a couple of questions we'll start with dante moore and then uh and then we'll close with uh, a conference realignment question that he's got he asks hi spencer hi duck demon now that Dante Moore is committed, looking at his throwing ability to get the ball out under pressure and at angles, do you see a similarity to Vernon Adams making those tricky throws? So when he first sent me this question, I hadn't watched a ton of film on Dante Moore. And my initial reaction was like, eh, you know, not a ton. I think VA is a little more athletic. I, I don't totally see it. But then as I watched more and more of him, I started to see what he was going for. And by the way, anytime I get a chance to bring this up, I'll always throw it out there. If Vernon Adams stays healthy in that 2015 season, Oregon goes back to the college football playoff, 11-1 regular season, they win the Pac-12. Do they win? Eh, I don't know, but they definitely get there. Vernon Adams was really, really good, so I'm always down for some VA comparisons and being like Vernon Adams. That's, uh, in my view, as good as being uh, a four-star quarterback or maybe even a well, not five. Let's say Mariota was a five-star caliber quarterback. Herbert was uh, that as well, but VA, high rate, high, be like, high four-star quarterback in uh, in my view that's kind of what you can get from uh players that caliber but anyway so i i always love vernon adams comparisons i do see it a little bit when you watch him i i think the biggest flaw that that dante moore has right now and really the only one because he's got a good strong arm he can throw on the move he does a great job getting his hips around when he's moving to his left his ball placement and precision is absolutely elite his decision making and his ability to get through progressions and make reads it's also really really good the scouting reports uh pretty much universally say that about him and that's what i see from him as well so he has a lot of high-end traits i think the one thing he, he's got to work on and you you can certainly work on it guy with his work ethic and uh and character certainly i, I don't have any doubt that that he'll be able to frankly he has to have more pocket presence. Now, when you watch the state championship game from this past season, he has a number of instances where, a little bit like Vernon Adams, 
he likes to take a big drop back, right? Like you're playing NCAA 14, you just drop your quarterback as far back as you can by the time relying on your arm strength. You can get away with that in high school, but in college, you, you cannot nearly as much. So I think he has to be a little bit more comfortable in the pocket making throws from there. Maybe he didn't trust his offensive line as much as he hopefully will at Oregon. That's why we got to recruit some big fellas up front to block for him to compliment Josh Carley. But there are also some on, on the roster potentially waiting in the wings once everybody moves on after this season up front on the offensive side of the ball but I think what what he could do that that Vernon Adams did really well is take that big drop suck the defensive ends up and then you've got alleys to go left and right to extend the play and you know I do see a little bit of that uh you know kind of jitterbug maneuverability escapability I don't think he's quite on Vernon Adams level because VA did it at a really really high level uh, but I, I do see some similarities there in that neither uh, I think Vernon Adams slightly more athletic, though not not a lot. You know, both good, solid athletes, but it's certainly not a, an elite trait of theirs. But they don't need it to be because their ball placement and accuracy and ability to make reads is, is really, really good. Though, uh, from what I remember, Vernon Adams never actually learned the playbook. But the playbook for betting is Bet Online, your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. Go Mariners. As I record this, they've won eight in a row, and I saw four of them last week, and it was glorious. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. The 150th Open champion at St. Andrews this week. Oh, gosh, can't wait for that. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action and bet the Open Championship. BetOnline, where the game starts. Uh, the, the similarities to Vernon Adams are definitely there. Uh, but I think that Dante Moore is a little bit more refined as a passer. And, you know, when you look at how he might fit in a Kenny Dillingham offense, he runs a lot of RPO concepts, or at least their their high school offense does. And I think Dillingham, again, we don't know because he's never been a full-time play caller, but based on what we've seen from, you know, his time at Memphis and uh, and Florida State as well, there are going to be some, R- some RPO concepts. And one thing that you have to be able to do, and nobody's better at this than Mariota, but Adams was good at it too. Um, and, and, you know, Darren Thomas was capable of it, but n- not as much because of the way that he kind of had to wind up. Dante Moore has a quick, fluid, compact, and fundamental release. And that allows him to get the ball out of his hand really, really quickly And that's something that you have to be able to do and you have to be able to make quick decisions. And he's very good at doing that as well. So I I think he projects very well with what Dillingham will want to call offensively. Um, He's not a big runner. It's not something that he he really needs to do. And, you know, we'll we'll see how much Dillingham wants to run the quarterback. Maybe he'll do it more with Bo Nix, who's certainly more mobile than any other quarterback on the roster or incoming now with Dante Moore. Um, but I, I think that Dante is just a guy who can fit the ball in those tight windows. His ball placement is excellent. He's got great fundamentals, a very repeatable motion. If he can just work on that pocket presence a little bit, then I, I think he's a guy who can really, really do some great things because he's got great arm strength. He's got a great release. He's very accurate. He's very smart. He's very cerebral. He's got great leadership qualities as well. Uh, there's just a lot to like with this guy, and I, I think the Vernon Adams comp is there, but I think Moore's a little bit more refined, which is a good thing. And, you know, even if he were only as refined and, and became the sort of player that, that Vernon Adams was, that'd be a pretty darn good player. Like I, I, I would take that. I think his ceiling is higher than VA, but if that's what he became, 
that's a guy who can get you the college football playoff. That is 100 is 100% in the cards. Let's end today with uh, a potential cautionary tale that Duck Demon also asked me about. He said, did you check out this article? I did. Being from Maryland, I watched the Terps go from being a program that was gaining momentum in the ACC to being buried in the Big Ten. Is this a caution to Oregon? Uh, basically, what the article said was uh, that USC and UCLA are are going into a situation where everyone wants to be excited and feel good. And, you know, you join a new conference and it's new and it's fun, it's exciting and totally get all that. And there's reason to feel that way if you're a fan of those schools. But there is a cautionary tale. Now, is Maryland comparable to USC football? No. No, of course not. More comparable would be Texas A&M, who's found more success statistically from a conference winning standpoint since joining the SEC, but they haven't played for a conference championship. And so when when you talk about the, the idea of all this realignment, you know, Oregon needs to be here. They got to go here. They got to do this. Kind of depends on what you want. Because if Oregon were to stay, and as it stands right now, Oregon's not going anywhere. They stay in the Pac-10. Maybe it becomes the Pac-12 again. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Changes by the hour, it seems. But I think when you look at you know the the idea of moving conferences, if you're going to a tougher conference, it might not always be better for your program. I, I mean, Cincinnati just got to the playoff in the American Conference. If either Stanford or Washington can regain their footing and become a consistent top 25 caliber program, then... That conference that Cincinnati just got to the playoff out of would not be as strong as a Pac-10 even that's got Oregon, Washington, and either uh, or Oregon, either Washington or Stanford, and Utah in it. It, it. it wouldn't be. So that's kind of the argument in favor of you know being content with, with with standing pat with where Oregon is and and just staying put in the Pac-10 or Pac-12 or whatever it becomes. It's that you're going to be able to compete. And at the end of the day, you want to win a conference championship. And, you know, would you rather win a, a slightly weaker conference championship? And I'll admit, it'd be notably weaker once USC and UCLA leave. But they also, also haven't been flagship programs for the Pac-12 over the last 10 years in football in, like, any way, shape, or form. Like, USC has had some good years, but they haven't been USC uh, the way that, that, that we, you know, think of them in, in the abstract, so to speak. Um, so I, I think that's just something to, to ponder. And I think the article made a number of good points. Like, I think UCLA is in a position to to go the route more of, of Maryland where, you know, they were struggling to compete for conference championships in the Pac-12. The only one they played in was the first at Autzen Stadium in 2011. And that was because USC was on probation, so they couldn't play in the postseason. Um, I think UCLA is going to go to the Big Ten, which is a tougher conference, and I, I could see them struggling to sniff a conference champ. I could see them being like Purdue or Minnesota, where like you know eight nine wins is a good season, because that's what it is in Pac-12 for. Eight nine wins, yeah, it's a pretty good season. UCLA just went eight and four. Yeah, they're feeling good. They're, they're feeling good. Optimism trending in the right direction. Um, but that's a different place to be. And, and I think there is a, a cautionary tale out there for any school about, you know, going to a bigger and better conference, like in the area of a 14 playoff, if it remains that way, and I hope it does, it's going to be a lot, lot tougher in your road to getting to where you want to go and winning a conference championship, maybe getting the college football playoff or a big time bowl game. It, it's a, it's a lot, lot tougher. And it's something that you certainly have to consider. And it's something Oregon should definitely keep in mind as well. And we, as fans, 
should also have in the back of our minds. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.